Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. Ukraine's president urging the European Union to prove that it's with Ukraine as a large Russian military convoy descends on the capital city. Ukraine's ambassador pleads for more weapons as her country continues to fight against Russia. Congress is now preparing additional funds to help Ukraine. Experts predict more sanctions are on the horizon for Russia, and others say the world didn't expect the West to respond with so many sanctions. All this while France's finance minister predicts the collapse of the Russian economy. The IOC is calling for an international event ban for athletes from Russia and Belarus, and a Russian tennis star's world number one ranking is overshadowed by the war in Ukraine. Ukraine's president received a standing ovation today from European lawmakers after making his case why they should let Ukraine join. He said the EU would be stronger with Ukraine, but without the EU, Ukraine would be alone. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky urged the European Union Tuesday to prove that it's with Ukraine, a day after Kyiv officially asked to join the bloc. Do prove that you are with us. Do prove that you will not let us go. Do prove that you are indeed Europeans, and then life will win over death, and light will win over darkness. A large Russian military convoy is bearing down on Ukraine's capital, Kyiv. U.S. company Maxar Technologies took these satellite images Monday. It says the vehicles stretch for about 40 miles. And Russian shelling pounded Ukraine's second-largest city, Kharkiv, again Tuesday. Footage showing a massive explosion in the city's central square. Emergency workers now combing through the wreckage. Ukraine's government claims the attack purposely targeted residential areas. Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S. accused Russia of committing war crimes Monday. Oksana Markarova told reporters at the U.S. Capitol that Russia used a vacuum bomb. And they are shooting us with missiles, ballistic missiles. Uh, they used the uh, vacuum bomb today, which is actually prohibited by Geneva Convention. Earlier, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the administration cannot confirm reports that Russia used a vacuum bomb. We have seen the reports. Uh, if, if that were true, it would potentially be a war crime. A vacuum bomb is typically more destructive than traditional bombs because it absorbs oxygen and can create a longer blast wave. The International Criminal Court is now investigating Russia over potential war crimes. Meanwhile, residents in Kyiv are signing up to defend their city, enrolling in local defense centers and receiving guns. I'm here because those whom we were not glad to see knocked on my door, and I believe everyone who can resist must do so. A U.S. defense official said the United States expects Russian forces to encircle Kyiv in the coming days. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. And this just in, Ukraine says Russian forces struck a TV tower in Kyiv today. It comes shortly after Russia warned of high-precision strikes. And local media are reporting that the attack has cut broadcasts. Today, more than 100 diplomats from some 40 countries walked out of a U.N. speech given by Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. This in protest over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The boycott by envoys from the European Union, the United States, Britain and others left only a few diplomats in the room. Russia's ambassador to the U.N., as well as envoys from Syria, China and Venezuela were among delegations that stayed. Lavrov was addressing the U.N. Human Rights Council remotely. 
He canceled his visit due to what the Russian mission said were EU states blocking his flight path. Neutral Switzerland also imposed financial sanctions on Lavrov. This is seen as a measure of international condemnation of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, what Russia describes as a special military operation aimed at dislodging neo-Nazis ruling Ukraine. Ukraine's ambassador to the United States told lawmakers her country needs more weapons to fight Russia. Congress is now moving to prepare funds to support the Ukrainian people. Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S. met with House and Senate lawmakers at the U.S. Capitol on Monday. In a later briefing, Oksana Markarova pleaded for more help from the U.S. Congress, describing Monday as especially difficult in her country's war with Russia. So we need more weapons. I mean, we're not asking anyone to fight for us. We are defending our country ourselves. But we need all the support that all civilized world can give us. The ambassador also urged senators to impose sanctions on Russia's oil and gas industry. And U.S. lawmakers from both parties have agreed on the need to increase U.S. oil independence. The one thing we're not doing that would affect him the most is sanction the oil and gas sector of Russian economy. We need to consider stopping the flow of energy from Russia to the United States and enlist our allies in the same cause. We need energy independence more now than ever before. The White House is now seeking at least $6.4 billion in both military and humanitarian aid, and senators are also working to provide ammunition to Ukraine, including anti-tank and anti-craft systems. I think we're coming to agreements soon about the scale of that package. This marking strong support for the Ukrainian people in their resistance to Russia's invasion. What is preventing uh, Russia from running over Ukraine is the passion and will of the people of Ukraine and an extraordinary leader. Vladimir Putin will lose this battle. He will lose this war. I don't know how Putin wins one way or the other. Even if he crushes the military, he can't possibly, that, the country, that country will never accept him. Senator Chris Murphy confirmed later on Twitter that Russia has fallen behind its timeline for the invasion. Ukrainian resistance has been fierce, he wrote, citing multiple equipment and logistics failures on the Russian side. A Russian jet headed to Italy was forced to enter a holding pattern outside European Union airspace. It was diverted to Turkey on Monday after apparently being refused access. The aircraft belongs to Russian airline Aeroflot. It was diverted just after entering Greek airspace. The aircraft did a U-turn towards Turkey and landed in Istanbul. That's according to flight trafficking website Flight Radar 24. Airlines on Monday braced for a lengthy dispute after the European Union banned Russian airlines from its airspace. Moscow has responded in kind, barring carriers from 36 countries, including all 27 members of the European Union. Aeroflot said on Sunday it would cancel all flights to European destinations. This was after the EU foreign policy chief said the European Union had decided to close its airspace to Russian traffic. Western sanctions have basically tied the Bank of Russia's hands, and now the bank is introducing some capital controls and doubling its key policy rate. The West's backlash against Moscow's invasion of Ukraine has prevented the Bank of Russia from being able to deploy about $640 billion in gold and foreign exchange reserves. An expert says there are a lot of ways the sanctions are going to impact companies. Both Ukraine and Russia are major commodities exporters, metals, wheats, grains, soybeans. So right away, you've already seen there's going to be a spike in prices 
of certain commodities that are going to become in short supply. It's the old adage of supply and demand. John McCain famously said that, you know, Russia was a gas station masquerading as a country, but that's not really true. They actually sell many things besides oil and gas. Sanctions from the U.S. and its allies initially sent the ruble down about 30 percent. That was a record low, but it regained some ground after the central bank raised its interest rate to 20 percent. The White House said that there could be sanctions against Russia's energy sector, and an expert says the sanctions that have been announced are very big, and there are more to come. Douglas Redeker, the senior fellow at Brookings, says Russia can withstand the sanctions, but he wondered whether the Russian people are willing to endure the economic consequences of the invasion. The sanctions package that has been announced um, is very big. Are there more things to come? Yes. We don't know what that looks like. Some of the things that have been held back are sanctions on the oil and gas sector. I think that the West is going to try to continue to hold back on sanctioning the oil and gas sector. But there are a number of other measures that could be taken to the next degree. A French professor says businesses that will suffer are the ones that want to invest in advanced technology. So all of that will hit uh, the quality of life, economic growth, uh, incomes of Russians. And so the question is not when Russian budget will run out of cash. It will not. The question is when Russian citizens will say, look, our purchasing power, our incomes purchasing power is getting lower and lower. We cannot buy food and medicines. What's more, France's finance minister predicts the Russian economy will collapse. Bruno Le Maire told French TV that the sanctions have minimal impact on the European Union's economies, but will cause Russia to suffer. This comes as France prepares to seize the assets of Russian officials and business leaders who are the target of the bloc sanctions. Here to give us some analysis on the Ukraine crisis is Donald Jensen. He's the director for Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace. He says Putin is becoming less discriminate and more violent. That's because a Russian artillery strike on Kharkiv killed dozens of civilians. The Ukrainian Interior Ministry reported the casualties. Jensen starts by telling us more about Ukraine's efforts to resist the invasion. Uh, the Ukrainians continue to slow down and frustrate the Russian military. As you've seen on these impressive YouTube videos, home cameras, uh, Civilians are armed or armed with Molotov cocktails. The Ukrainian army, under outmanned, outgunned, is uh, fighting uh, intelligently and passionately. And uh, the home guards, which are civilians just taken right off the street and trained volunteers, are so far so good uh, holding, uh, especially in Kiev, the Russian troops about 20 miles outside the center. That's the government headquarters. That's the key target for the Kremlin. Russian and Ukrainian officials recently had a round of talks. Ukraine wants a ceasefire, but what do you suspect Russia is seeking? Russia has not convinced, frankly, that it's been more difficult than it than it, they planned and that it appeared at first glance. Russia wants, at a minimum, to keep uh, the eastern part of the Donbass, Russian-speaking, which they've already occupied partially for the past eight years. Russia wants, of course, a strong presence in the Black Sea. And uh, beyond that, it's hard to say, except that the primary goal remains getting rid of the, the uh, Zelensky government and keeping Ukraine under control. Well, whether they will get that, succeed, is really what fighting, the fighting is about now to be determined. Over a half million refugees are fleeing Ukraine. Are the neighboring countries able to provide for them? 
they're trying, and again, that's been very oppressive, particularly Poland, with whom a uh, relationship with immigrants has not always been very welcoming, is opening its doors. There are also uh, immigrants in the other areas to the west of Ukraine, Moldova, Slovakia, and so forth. But Poland in particular has been uh, 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 impressively generous opening its doors. And as you just said, there are a lot of people going west to escape the fight. Jensen says it's unlikely the EU will admit Ukraine to the bloc like it wants, but he calls the EU's support of Ukraine unprecedented. That's over the bloc's first ever weapons delivery to an outside country, one to the tune of $500 million. The Prime Minister of Canada announces more support for Ukraine in its defense against Russia. Measures include giving Ukraine weapons and banning Russian oil imports. Yesterday, we announced that we would be sending new shipments of military supplies, including body armor, helmets, gas masks, and night vision goggles. Today, we are announcing that we will be supplying Ukraine with anti-tank weapons systems and upgraded ammunition. Of course, this is in addition to our three previous shipments of lethal and non-lethal equipment. Trudeau is also banning Russian crude oil imports, he wrote on Twitter that oil sales account for a third of Russia's federal budget revenue. He also told reporters in Ottawa that the oil industry has benefited President Putin and his oligarchs greatly. Canada's natural resources minister told lawmakers on Monday that the country hasn't imported any crude oil from Russia since 2019, and major Canadian cable operators have said they would drop Russian state-owned broadcaster RT from their channel lineup in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The Australian Prime Minister announces millions of dollars in weapons support for Ukraine and additional money will go towards humanitarian aid. President Zelensky said, don't give me a ride, give me ammunition. And that's exactly what the Australian government has agreed to do. We will be committing 50 million US dollars to support both lethal and non-lethal defensive support for Ukraine. $35 million will go towards food, shelter, and medical care, and Australia is currently processing about 100 visa applications from Ukraine each day. Morrison has warned ordinary Australian citizens against traveling to Ukraine to fight against Russian forces. He says there are legal issues with doing that, and they would also find themselves facing very violent Russian attacks. The Ukrainian president signed a decree lifting visa entry requirements for foreigners wishing to fight in defense of Ukraine. Morrison welcomed the efforts from fellow nations in sanctioning Russia, but warned that President Vladimir Putin would likely ramp up the aggression. As the fighting continues in Ukraine, Western firms are hastily rethinking their business in Russia. Now a steady trickle of departures from the country is turning into a flood. Shell is the latest big oil firm to confirm it's quitting Russian projects. That follows BP and piles pressure on rivals like ExxonMobil. Payment firms, MasterCard and Visa, say they have blocked transactions by Russian financial institutions. That's in line with international sanctions. Major car and truck makers are cutting off exports to the country. Volvo and General Motors are among those to make the move so far, though they are small players in the Russian market. Ford, which is a major player, hasn't fully spelled out its plans. Maersk, the world's biggest shipping company, on Tuesday said it would suspend all container movements to and from Russia. That follows similar moves by rivals, including Germany's Hapag Lloyd. 
Governors and lawmakers in numerous U.S. states are seeking to add to the financial squeeze on Russia over its war against Ukraine. Some states have directed government-run wine and liquor suppliers to pull Russian-sourced alcohol from their shelves. Ohio, along with Iowa, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Utah, and Virginia are all states that control the sale of alcohol. They have ceased the purchase and sale of Russian-sourced alcohol, joining a pro-Ukrainian movement along with some bars and private businesses. Greenmark Vodka and Russian Standard Vodka are two brands of the liquor made by Russian Standard and sold in the United States. A Japanese cybersecurity expert is raising questions about a cyber attack on Japanese automaker Toyota's supplier. The timing of the incident is drawing suspicion as Japan joins the West in addressing Russia's invasion of Ukraine. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Takamichi Saito is a Meiji University professor and director of cybersecurity laboratory. He explained Tuesday that Russia's information warfare included operations to draw chaos and fear. It's hard to assess whether Russia was involved with the current information. I do question if they, Russia, had an active cyber attack unit and are operating from a war zone against the world. I think the chances of that are not high. But I do think the possibility isn't zero. Japan's Toyota Motor Corp said it will restart domestic production on Wednesday, a day after all of its factories nationwide ground to a halt, following a cyber attack at a parts supplier. Tuesday's suspension impacted the output of around 13,000 vehicles. The incident has raised concern about the strength of cybersecurity in the extensive supply chain. That issue is now a key area of concern in Japan. Government critics say responses have been hampered by a fractured approach to dealing with hacking threats. Saito said the issue with Japan's weak cybersecurity measures comes down to a lack of workers in the digital area. It, cyber attack, was just waiting to happen. Japan was relatively safe and had few damages from massive cyber attacks. But some companies are behind on security measures. He singled out the automotive industry in particular. I hear top companies have good measures, but like the case this time, companies under what we call Tier 2 and smaller companies are fragile and can be a target. No information is available about who was behind the attack, but the incident came just after Japan joined Western allies in clamping down on Russia in response to its invasion of Ukraine. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The International Olympic Committee has recommended a ban on all competitions for Russian and Belarusian athletes. Soccer and tennis are also under similar restrictions for the two countries. The IOC executive board has recommended that sports federations ban Russian and Belarusian athletes from competing. The committee said the decision was made to protect the integrity of global sports competitions and for the safety of all the participants. That's despite protests from the Russian Olympic Committee calling the decision discriminatory. Following the IOC statement, soccer's governing bodies, FIFA and UEFA, also suspended Russian teams from all games. The move is likely to exclude Russia from this year's World Cup. UEFA said it will make a further decision at a later date with regard to whether Russia will be participating in the 2022 Women's Euro in England this July. Tennis events in Russia have also suffered. The Ukrainian Tennis Federation urged the International Tennis Federation to immediately expel Russia and Belarus from the organization. As a response, the ITF said it has called off all tournaments in Russia indefinitely. 
and there will be no ITF events in Belarus this year. Moscow native Daniil Medvedev reached the pinnacle of men's tennis on Monday when he became the ATP world number one. But Putin's invasion of Ukraine overshadowed his victory. The tennis player took to Twitter on Sunday to issue an appeal for peace without commenting on the current conflicts. Two-time Olympic boxing gold medalist Vasily Lomachenko has joined a territorial defense battalion in Ukraine. The famous boxer has won world titles in three different weight classes. He posted a picture on Facebook Sunday, showing himself fully armed in military uniform. Meanwhile, Russian chess grandmaster Sergei Karyakin tweeted his public support for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The International Chess Federation has announced that disciplinary action will be taken against him and another player. Opposition to Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine is pouring in from all around the world, and apparently that includes the happiest place on Earth, or at least its movie studio. Disney is Hollywood's largest and most influential studio, and it is pausing the release of its films in Russia. A Disney spokesperson said in his statement that those films include the upcoming Turning Red from Pixar. The statement cited not only Russia's invasion, but also the massive humanitarian crisis it has unleashed in Europe. The company's move comes amid a wave of international condemnation and crippling economic sanctions targeting Russia's economy. Abbott Nutrition is expanding its recall of baby formula. Now it includes some lots of the Similac PM 6040 powdered instant formula. It's part of a larger recall announced earlier this month. Producers from the company's facility in Michigan were linked to illness in babies. At least four infants have been hospitalized and one died from possible infection with a bacteria that may be in the formula. Similac PM6040, products from lot code 27032K80, are affected. They join other Similac, Alimentum, and Elecare products, powdered products with codes between 22 and 27, and expiration dates of April 2022 or later in the recall. More details are on the Food and Drug Administration's website. A man shot and killed his three children and a fourth person before taking his own life. The outburst of gun violence unfolded in a church near California's capital. A Sacramento County Sheriff's Department spokesperson says investigators are still seeking a motive, but believe the shooting stemmed from a domestic dispute. The shooting erupted at about 5 p.m. local time in the Arden Arcade community, which is on the eastern edge of Sacramento's city limits. A church employee told authorities he was on an upper floor at the church at the time. He says he heard a single gunshot followed by several more shots before he ran out of the building and called police. Local television station KTVU cited Sacramento County Sheriff Scott Jones. He says investigators believe the shooting unfolded during a supervised visit between the father and his children. They believe the fourth victim was an adult chaperone. A former juror from the Scott Peterson trial took the stand Monday in his new trial. Peterson was originally sentenced to death in 2004 for the murders of his wife Lacey and their unborn son Connor. That death sentence was dropped in August 2020 after the California Supreme Court found that potential jurors were dismissed erroneously. It was in part because they expressed general objections to the death penalty on a questionnaire. And in October 2020, the California Supreme Court ordered a lower court to re-examine his murder convictions because a juror did not disclose involvement in other legal proceedings. That's the juror who took the stand Monday. 
defending her actions during and following the 2004 trial. Peterson's attorney asked her about letters she wrote to Peterson while he was on death row, a book she was co-authoring, and other jurors about being on the panel, and a television appearance. Scott Peterson was resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in December 2020. The governors of California, Oregon, and Washington have announced that school children will no longer be required to wear masks starting March 12th. The governors of the three states announced the measure in a joint statement. The new indoor mask policies come as COVID cases and hospitalization rates decline across the West Coast. The new guidance will make face coverings a recommendation rather than a requirement at schools and most indoor places, regardless of vaccination status. The milestone comes as much of the country relaxes public health orders, including school mask mandates, in an effort to restore normalcy and boost economic recovery. Talks within Major League Baseball are in extra innings. Officials with MLB decided to extend the self-imposed deadline in an attempt to reach a labor deal agreement with the Players Association. According to MLB.com, some progress has been made between the two sides, and the hope is now to come to terms by 5 p.m. Tuesday. If so, opening day could take place on its originally scheduled date of March 31st. Spring training games through early March have already been canceled, Professional baseball hasn't seen a work stoppage since the 1994-95 season. Last month, MLB Commissioner Bob Manfred, Rob Manfred says missing games would be, quote, disastrous. You ever know what's hiding under your back deck? A Boulder, Colorado family was alerted by their dog when something was in their backyard. They thought maybe a raccoon, but they were shocked to find a mountain lion hiding under the deck. Colorado Parks and Wildlife helped wrangle the animal on Sunday. They say it is not fully grown adult and weighs about 120 pounds. CPW relocated the animal to a remote area in Larimer County. Just ahead, Texas struggles to handle an unprecedented number of mail-in ballots. That's after new voter ID requirements kicked in. More on that in just a minute here on NTD News. President Biden will deliver his first State of the Union address tonight. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said he won't send Florida National Guard troops to Washington, D.C. for the speech. The Biden administration made the request last week. They called it a precautionary measure against possible First Amendment protests. The governor's press secretary told the Epic Times that the National Guard should never be misused for political purposes. The Pentagon has approved the deployment of 700 other unarmed National Guard troops to D.C. Police say fencing will be in place around the Capitol. Surrounding roads will be blocked off. The governor's decision came as a convoy of truckers rolled into the nation's capital. They're calling for an end to the ongoing COVID-19 restrictions. Mail-in ballots in Texas are being rejected left and right, according to local officials. This as new Republican-backed voter ID laws kick in ahead of primaries for crucial midterm elections. Election officials in six of the state's largest counties, home to about a third of Texas's population, are reporting unprecedented amounts of invalid ballots. That's left officials scrambling to try and get voters to fix their ballots ahead of the March 1st deadline, and even some officials are confused about the new rules.
basically 8,500 of the 28,000 mail ballots we've seen back, we've had to turn back and say, it's not going to work the way you've sent it to us. That's largely due to a new requirement asking voters to include an ID number on their ballot envelopes, which are covered by a secret flap to protect voters' privacy. But officials say voters might be accidentally overlooking that crucial part of their ballots as a result. Not only that, Longoria says some voters have cited concerns about identity theft and including their personal information. That's on top of another new requirement for voters applying for mail-in ballots in the first place. The new requirement for mail ballots under the new election laws, again, first election it's in place, says you must include either your social security number or driver's license number on the application and mail ballot itself for it to be counted. Not only that, but whatever number you put on the ballot has to match up with what we have in your system. The state currently limits mail-in voting to voters who are over 65, disabled, ill, in jail, due to give birth immediately or out of their home county on election day. Texas lawmakers approved the voting restrictions last September despite a months-long effort by Democrats to block it, which included some lawmakers fleeing the state. When asked about the unusually high number of invalid ballots, Texas Secretary of State John Scott's office referred Reuters to a statement it issued on Wednesday that laid out voters' options for correcting rejected ballots. The number of rejected votes is certain to rise, given the majority of mail-in ballots have not yet arrived at clerk's offices ahead of the March 1 primary. A new poll from the Democracy Institute surveyed 1,500 likely voters in the U.S. It found that on a generic ballot, Republicans outpaced Democrats by 10 points at 53 to 43 percent. The Institute's founding director, Patrick Basham, explains their findings in terms of the job President Biden is doing. We were gauging first and foremost Biden's approval rating. Uh, we found that it is only 39%, 57% of likely voters disapprove of the job that Joe Biden is doing. Uh, that is a pretty wide gulf. Uh, and those who disapprove, disapprove pretty strongly. So after only one year in office, Joe, Joe Biden is in pretty bad shape with the voters. Now, some analysts say the U.S. is becoming more politically polarized these days, making it harder to keep ratings up. Can you give us some analysis on how this poll corresponds to maybe a similar poll done on the Trump administration? Sure. It is very hard for any president to be wildly popular because the country remains very split. So, for example, Donald Trump was rarely uh, above water. He was usually in the 40s, sometimes in the 30s in terms of his approval percentage. A plurality or a majority at most times disapproved of his performance. You think of Barack Obama. He won election twice, but for most of his first, for the second, third, and fourth years of his first term, he was also underwater. It was only around ele by election time in 2012 that he got to that magic 50% mark. So it would be unfair to assume that Joe Biden was going to have 65% approval uh, for, for the duration of his presidency. Now let's shift gears here and talk about Ukraine. The West has already imposed a lot of sanctions on Russia. In your view, what are the goals of putting these sanctions on? Is it to stop further aggression or to punish Russia in either event? Well, I think the major problem the West has is it hasn't got its uh, story straight, hasn't got its mind, has never had its mind made up about that very question. What is the purpose of the sanctions? As recently as the as last weekend, uh, American officials were saying, spokespeople were saying that uh, the sanctions were uh, a deterrent. Right? They would 
that they would come in, that the threat of them was a deterrent to stop Russia from invading. And then we moved to, well, we'll put them in, it'll deter Russia from staying. And now we're going to have harsher sanctions, and that apparently is going to um, incentivize the Russians to leave the Ukraine and leave Ukraine alone. Now, even if we go very hard, we're probably looking at a situation within days where Russia controls most, if not all, of Ukraine. It's unlikely at that point that the sanctions, no matter how much they bite economically, are going to change anything in a military sense, which is really the bottom line for everybody here. And tying Biden's approval rating to Ukraine, the president has a net positive approval over his handling of the crisis. That's according to a morning consult poll that shows 48% approve and 43% disapprove. But Biden could potentially lose some support if gasoline prices rise, if the conflict disrupts Russian oil exports, according to the poll. A delegation of former senior U.S. defense and security officials sent by President Biden arrived in Taipei. Taiwan has raised its alert level on the threat posed by Beijing. The visit is led by one-time chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Michael Mullen. It comes at a time when Taiwan has stepped up its alert level. The island's government is wary of Beijing taking advantage of a distracted West to move against it. Mullen is a retired Navy admiral. He served as the top U.S. military officer under former Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Former Deputy National Security Advisor Megan O'Sullivan and former Undersecretary of Defense Michelle Flournoy joined him. The group was met at the airport by Taiwan's Foreign Minister Joseph Wu. They will meet President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday. It's the same day former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will arrive, but he is coming separately and as a private citizen. Taiwan is responding to concerns that it could become the next Ukraine. Officials on the island point out ways the two situations are different. And today's Tiffany Meyer has more on the story. With Beijing's gaze planted on Taiwan, the island is watching Russia's war on Ukraine closely. Taiwan will also join the international community in levying economic sanctions against Russia. Many are now drawing parallels between Ukraine and Taiwan. Both face the threat of being taken over by powerful neighbors. Ukraine is already fighting back against Russia, while Taiwan is under military pressure from Beijing. But Taiwan officials may have a different view of that comparison. Taiwan, Taiwan and Ukraine are very different. We're very important in terms of the world's supply chain. Also, the geopolitical tensions and the geographic locations are different as well. Taiwan is critical to the global supply chain, especially when it comes to semiconductors or microchips. These tiny devices are the brains of all electronics, from fighter jets to iPhones. Without chips, modern life would not be possible. Taiwan dominates the chip manufacturing market. The island makes over 90% of the world's cutting-edge microchips, and the U.S. relies on Taiwan for its most advanced chips. What's more, Washington has a deeper interest in Taiwan compared to Ukraine. The U.S. maintains a security pact with Taiwan, and under it, America is committed to providing Taiwan with arms to protect itself from a Chinese invasion. But the U.S. doesn't have that kind of agreement with Ukraine. America's interest in Taiwan also has to do with its location. The island sits on a line of defense that's key to America's security, a chain of islands stretching from Japan to Malaysia. 
And this line of defense prevents Beijing from launching submarine-based nuclear missile attacks against the U.S. Without access to the deep waters beyond the island chain, the U.S. military would be able to quickly detect and neutralize Chinese attack subs. What's more, the U.S. has a much closer trade partnership with Taiwan. In 2020, Taiwan stands as America's ninth largest trading partner, with over $100 billion in two-way trade. Compare that to Ukraine, America's 67th largest trading partner, with a trade volume of just over $3 billion. Washington also had a hand in helping Taiwan transform into a democracy. In the 1950s, U.S. aid made up about 10 percent of Taiwan's GDP. The U.S. opened up its market to Taiwanese exports, helping the island to speed up its economy. Now, Taiwan's GDP per capita totals over half of the United States, over $30,000. That's compared to Ukraine at a little over $3,000. Lastly, the geography. Taiwan and mainland China are separated by a strait, stretching over a hundred miles wide. But there's no such barrier between Ukraine and Russia, as their shared border is entirely on land. Still to come, Australia's east coast is experiencing unprecedented floods and the weather system is shifting towards its most populous state. Researchers work to preserve what could have been an ancient fast food diner in Pompeii. Residents would have enjoyed quick meals of duck, snails and fish. Stay tuned to find out more. Sydney must brace for heavy rains and possible flash flooding over the next two days. That's according to what authorities said today. It comes ahead of an intense weather system battering Australia's east coast. It's gradually shifting to the south toward New South Wales, which is the country's most populous state. Clinging to rooftops, waiting for help, Australians across the east coast have faced its worst floods on record. In the northern city of Lismore in New South Wales, Locals have watched their streets become totally engulfed by flood water, and it's coming for Sydney. Authorities have warned the city to brace for heavy rain and possible flash flooding over the next two days. The Bureau of Meteorology predicts the city and several neighboring regions could get up to six inches within a six-hour period. That's more than the total of what the city usually experiences in the month of March. At least 10 people have been killed in Australia since the rain battered the state of New South Wales as well as Queensland last week with floods submerging towns and roads. New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrault warned residents in the state's south to get ready to leave their homes immediately if they are asked. We've seen people uh, stranded on roofs for hours. Uh, We've seen uh, children being rescued. Uh, We're seeing uh, people stranded on bridges. Uh, But importantly as well, uh, we're also seeing a community come together. Australia's East Coast summer has been dominated by the La Nina climate pattern, which is typically associated with greater rainfall for a second straight year. Now to Italy, where new work to preserve the remains of the city of Pompeii has unearthed some interesting archaeological discoveries. Researchers have found previously unseen frescoes and an ancient fast food snack bar where Pompeii's poorer residents would have bought cheap meals. Entity's Neil Woodrow has more. 
In 79 AD, the vibrant city of Pompeii was destroyed by a volcanic eruption. In recent years, the heavily visited ruins almost experienced a second destruction after decades of neglect, mismanagement and scant maintenance. A partial collapse happened in 2010. But now Pompeii is experiencing a rebirth. Work is underway to preserve the ruins and prevent further collapse. We are carrying out efforts to reinforce by doing injections of liquid mortar without salt so that they can go back and fill the various layers that make up the wall's plaster. So they are deep injections that go between the superficial plaster, the plaster and the wall depending on the portion that has broken off. The director-general of the archaeological park says a great attempt to change things was successful. He likens Pompeii's progress to the ascent of an aircraft. What remains to be done is to see what's the right uh, flight height for this airplane. So what do we need to spend uh, annually to avoid that we return to a situation as we had it in 2010. The Great Pompeii project, with over £80 million of funding from the European Union, has crucially helped save the ruins. One third of Pompeii's 66 hectares remains buried under deep layers of lava stone. An archaeologist on the site says it is possible to gather lots of information on the daily life of ancient peoples. There are places that have retained their original positions, that have retained the traces of the furniture or the traces of the clothes. Very often family groups have been found inside the ruins in Pompeii. Russo says the difference between the servants' quarters and the master's living spaces inside the house correspond with the differences in the health of the victims of the eruption. You find many who have a series of illnesses from overuse from too much work. Those are the illnesses typical of the slaves, while there are traces of illness in the rich, such as gout and things like that. New discoveries provide a glimpse into the eating habits and tastes of the great masses of Pompeii's residents, not affluent enough to have a kitchen. Judging by the organic remains found in containers, the menu featured fish, snails and ducks. The quick meals enjoyed in the street were likely a mainstay of the majority of ordinary Pompeians. Pompeii suffered further ruin in 1943, when two Allied bombs fell on this house. They deformed the exterior walls, the internal walls and the vaulted ceilings. The challenge on this side is to preserve these deformations to show future visitors to this house the devastating effects that Pompeii underwent in the various eras. Pompeii's revenue is mainly based on ticket sales, providing vital cash flow for research, conservation and restoration. Neil Woodrow, NTD News. Yellowstone National Park turns 150 years old today. President Ulysses S. Grant signed the Yellowstone National Park Protection Act into law on March 1, 1872, creating the first national park in the world. There are now 63 national parks in the U.S. Yellowstone sits atop a supervolcano. The Park Service says it has the world's greatest concentration of geysers, hot springs, steam vents, and mud pots. The park is spread across three states. 96% of it is in Wyoming, 3% in Montana, and 1% in Idaho. The park isn't planning any large-scale in-person events for the big anniversary for now because of the pandemic, but it is holding virtual programs as well as some smaller in-person programs. 
Have you heard of green prescriptions? It's all about using nature to enhance our health and well-being. On today's health segment, Gina Marie tells us more about it. Here's Strong Mind and Body. Has your doctor recommended you go for regular jogs in the park? What about countryside walks or maybe even community food growing sessions or some other type of nature-based activity? These so-called green prescriptions are typically given alongside conventional therapies. They have existed in various forms for a number of years. The UK government has recognised the health benefits of green prescriptions. It just announced a $4 million investment in a two-year pilot. It's part of its post-COVID-19 recovery plan. It also has plans to scale up in the future. There is increasing evidence of the benefits of contact with nature. The World Health Organization has identified 10 ways in which nature impacts positively on our physical and mental health. When parks and other green spaces are accessible, they can promote physical activity, psychological relaxation and social cohesion. There is even evidence to suggest that contact with microbes in the environment can train our immune systems. It may reinforce the microbial communities on our skin and in our airways and guts. These microbiomes could play a role in how our bodies respond to infectious diseases, diseases like COVID-19 or secondary infections. Microbes from the environment could also potentially supplement our bodies with fatty acids. These are linked to reduced inflammation and may promote mental health. Green prescriptions therefore have huge potential. The prescribing process needs to be made easy for doctors, social care professionals and patients. GPs often lack time and resources, while patients may lack motivation and confidence or have little previous positive experiences of nature. Green prescribing also needs to be seen as one part of a holistic health promotion strategy based on a planetary health perspective. In order to care for ourselves, we also need to care for our environments. Finally, we need to find new ways of working with local organizations and communities that will help us to understand what's needed in local contexts and to build skills and capacity. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.